have your Bibles with you tonight, and you want to turn there, you're going to be ministering out of the uh, book of First Samuel in chapter 18, and uh, we'll start reading at about verse uh, 8 and uh, down through around verse 16. And uh, also, while you're finding that, and uh, I hadn't already had it marked, so I'll have to grab it right fast here too, I want you to turn to the 23rd Psalm. And you may already have a bookmark on it. I've got one near it here, so it makes it a little easier for me. And you may even know it well enough that you don't even have to turn there, uh, but I want it as reference. And I remember uh, years ago when I first became a Christian, and, you know, I say that because I grew up going to, to church. I, my earliest memories were in, in going to church and, uh, you know, seeing, you know, uh, grew up going to the Wayne Church of God and got many perfect attendance awards and things for being there every single Sunday and most Wednesday nights. And I, I knew the Word of God pretty well for a youngster. And... Uh, you know that as I got older, I turned away from it, fell into kind of atheistic ideology, uh, and then, of course, the Lord brought me back. Uh, and when I first became a Christian, the big thing that I noticed was I didn't know how to worship God. You know, I, I'd seen things, and I didn't ever, uh, and, and, and I, I would never fault anybody for this, uh, you know, but it, there, there's kind of an idea of faking it until you make it. And I would rather say that it's that you know it's not so much that you're faking it as it is that you're saying, I'm going to worship God no matter what. I might not feel like worshiping God, but I'm going to worship Him anyway. And, you know, a lot of people try to say, they try to label and say, well, worshiping God takes X, Y, or Z form. I tell you this, that we're each individual, and just like we are with our own children, and I have three children, and they're none exactly alike. They have differences. They respond differently. Uh, I have different relationships with them. Uh, uh, and I can tell you that we each one have a different relationship with the Lord. Our worship may take the form of only crying and trembling. It may be uh, running the aisles. It may be falling out in the Spirit. Whatever that it is though, uh, if it's Spirit led, it's not out of order. But a lot of times people will say, yeah, but uh, I don't want to fake it. Well, I tell you, uh, I'm not going to fall flat on my face in the church house uh, unless the Holy Spirit knocks me flat on my face. Uh, I'm not going to run the aisles uh, unless the Holy Spirit comes upon me. And this flesh just doesn't know what to do with that. And I can tell you that when I began to study that, because I'd be in church services and people would be shouting and everything, and I'd be looking around at them saying, what's wrong with me? What? Why don't I do that? Why don't I feel that way? What, what do they have that I don't? And the truth was, was that I was, and, and I know this might be hard for some of you to believe, but I was backwards about it. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to sing in church. I didn't want to do anything but hold a pew down occasionally and probably not regularly. That was my ideology, but I can tell you, when I really started operating under the authority of the Lord as a minister, before that I was able to really start praising Him, was when I quit holding back. Oh, yes. 
When I turned it all over to him, said, God, I don't care if I look like a fool. I look like a fool for you. I don't care if people think this guy is crazy as long as I'm doing it for him. And David that we're getting ready to read about, he was a guy who knew how to worship. And I prayed one night and said, God, I want to be able to worship You in spirit and in truth. And he led me into the Psalms. And I read about David and how it was that David was described as being a man after God's own heart. But I can tell you this, when you have a special relationship with the Lord, And any relationship with the Lord is special. I'm not talking about that's extraordinary. What I'm talking about is you have a connection with the Lord. And you want to walk close to Him. And you desire a closeness with Him. There will be jealousy. There will be people who will put a target on your back. And a lot of times the devil ain't the one doing it. It's somebody else who's upset with what you have in God. And I've had to tell a few people, don't be jealous of what they've got. Ask God for more. Ask God to give you what they have. But be ready to go through what they went through in order to get there. Because the thing that I see about the life of David is that David was a hard worker. He was a diligent man. But I believe at no point in his life did he ever feel safe. You think about it. Now, there's many, and this isn't backed by Scripture, but I think it's a reasonable conclusion to make if you read there uh, uh, when it is that Samuel comes and anoints David in front of his father and his brothers. Okay, And, And my mind paints a picture, if you'll allow me a moment to paint you a picture, that Samuel has already come there. He's talked to Jesse. Jesse's worried about, are you coming peaceably? He said, yeah, I've come peaceably. And he says, call your sons. And Jesse calls seven men. Oh, yes. Seven men to come. And Samuel, each one passes before him, and God says, Nope, nah, nada, not that guy. Pass, fail, no. All seven pass before him. Oh, yeah. He didn't call David. I think it's reasonable that either. David was ashamed to Jesse because of Jesse's problem, not David's problem. Or that they just considered him so insignificant that they put him off in a pasture on his own as a boy. And you may say, well, so, you know, I'm sure he was perfectly fine. If you remember when he's talking to Saul later on and he's getting ready to face Goliath and fight him and kill him, he says, at one point a lion come and took a lamb and I went and fought the lion and God delivered me out of the hand of the lion. He said, another time a bear came and I grabbed the bear right by the face and I slew him because God was with me because he knew Jesse wasn't going to come help him. Eliab, none of them were there, but he knew to trust in God because he was constantly in peril. So he knew how to trust God. Do you think that he worshipped the Lord after that he slew the lion? Do you think that he maybe had an earthen altar set up somewhere out on the hillside would get down and pray, God, I can't take care of these sheep. God, I can't live without you. And so it was that God exalted him. And it fits with what Jesus said. He said, those that are exalted, God will bring low. And those that are not exalted, those that are humble, it says God will set them up. 
And David spent a lot of time in the wilderness by himself, constantly in peril, but trusting in God to take care of him. And if you don't think that won't cause a special relationship to the Lord, uh, you better think again. Uh, We know uh, that a lot of times uh, that our faith in the Lord grows not in the easy times, but in the difficult times. And what we're getting ready to read here in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel is you'll find now that David has won several victories. And the interesting thing is that at this point, Samuel has said, Jesse, send me David. He's mine now. Exactly what Samuel told the people when that they said, we want a king. And Samuel told him, he said, well, here's the kind of king you'll have. He's going to come take your stuff. He's going to take... Most of your crops. He's going to devour most of the things in the land. He's going to come and get your sons and your daughters and make them his own. And this is exactly what happened with David. And this is after David has killed Goliath. You see, after David killed Goliath, he didn't stay in the army or anything else. He went back to his father's house. Went back to tending sheep. You would think that he would maybe get a a shoe deal or something like that out of it. uh, That he would be doing endorsements and stuff. Yeah, hi, I'm David. I slew Goliath and I approved this message. But no, it says that he went back to the way that things were. Even after he'd had the horn of oil poured out over his head and anointed to be the next king right in front of his father and brothers, uh, they sent him back to the sheep still in peril and he comes into the king's court to help the king because the king's gone off the rails he is being vexed by an evil spirit he has turned his back on God the kingdom has been removed from him and yet he's still hanging on and David comes there and he plays for him and it helps Saul but then Saul goes to hearing what other people are saying about David And I can tell you that I've experienced this. I've seen it happen so many times. One minister does a really good job and there are people who think that it comes at the expense of another minister. Minister, I tell you, I love to sit down and root for a minister. Want them to do the best job. I'm not sitting there saying, I could do better. I'm sitting there saying, Lord, let them blow me away. Let them cause me to need to step up. Let them cause me to need to be better. To want to get closer to you. Because if I get up and I preach, and it doesn't make you want to get closer to God, if it doesn't cause you to want to turn something away, or to pick something up, then I'm really not doing my job as a minister. If I'm not making this word live to you with the Holy Spirit's help. And so David, what he's done is he's done everything he's been asked to do. He's not done anything wrong. When he killed Goliath, he did it in the name of the Most High God. He told Goliath when he came out against him, he said, look, yeah, you've got a... You remember what they said about his spear? They said it was as long as a weaver's beam. Talked about how tall that he was. Talked about how heavy his armor was and all that. But David said, fooey on all that because my God's bigger. He said, you come out trusting against sword and spear. He said, but I come against you in the name of the living God. And he said, you'll fall this day because my God will deliver you, deliver me out of your hand. And he did it. And the people were blown away. And David began to be a mighty man of valor in Israel, called upon frequently, not just as a shepherd. And here we find him in Saul's court. And we'll start reading it. Verse 
Well, let's start reading at verse 7. And it says, And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now this, of course, was an exaggeration. Oh yeah. But if you remember, when Goliath was coming out daily, and pointing his finger right at the Israelite army, Saul didn't go out. Saul didn't put on his armor and go against him. And Saul, if you remember, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was the big man on campus. He was the one that would have been able at least to maybe stand a chance against Goliath. But he wouldn't go out because he was too afraid of dying. David had faced death. David had dealt with it, I believe, daily. And so... When he went out and did what he did, he did it for the blessing of the nation. And you may remember in recent days, I've been telling you, ask God to be a blessing. But now also, I'm going to caution you, when you become a blessing, there are going to be other people that are going to look at you and revile you and not like you because that you're a blessing. That's okay though. You keep serving the Lord and let God turn their wickedness back upon them. But I'll also tell you this. If common sense tells you to run away, run away. Because you'll notice now it says in verse 8, And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have described but thousands. What can he have more but the kingdom? The irony is what Saul doesn't know is the kingdom's already been placed in David's hand. David may not have it in his possession yet, but God's building him up to it. While Saul has begun to diminish, he is exalting David. And so Saul is jealous and he's upset because of all of these things. And I want you to notice now it says in verse 9, And so I, David, from that day and forward, that he had jealousy and anger in his heart. And it says in verse 10, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Now I want you to think, maybe David was there in Saul's house saying, finally, I'm out of peril. Finally, I can let my guard down. I think David was a wiser man than that. I think David had learned it doesn't matter if I'm out on the hillside or I'm in the king's court, uh, uh, regardless of where I'm at, uh, that I've got to trust in the Lord always. Uh, And he wrote many of the Psalms uh, talking about that. Uh, And if you sit down and read the Psalms, because when God began to impress upon me uh, how to worship, uh, I began to read the Psalms and see uh, how that it was that David said, trust uh, in the Lord always. Uh, uh, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is he that trusteth in Him. But he also looked around and said, You know what? In all of my years, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. That David had seen highs and he'd seen lows. He was supposed to be a king right now. And he's in there playing for the king right now. 
The guy that's on David's throne. And you know what David did? He did the best job he knew how to do. Yes. He said, I'm not doing it for Saul. I'm doing it for God. Just exactly what uh, Paul the Apostle said. Now I tell you, I've had some employers in the past uh, that'll make it hard to obey this, but he said, whatever you do, do it as though you're doing it unto the Lord. Uh, and I'll tell you, some of them have made it awful difficult. Uh, uh, but, but Paul, when he was telling this to people, he was telling it to people who were literal slaves. Oh, yeah. And David, I believe he had that heart. He was saying, look, I'll work under authority, but I know the high authority. I know the one that has the most authority. And while he's there playing, Saul gets an idea in his head. Oh, yeah. He says, you know what, that, that doggone David, let's just see how good that he really is. And it says in verse 11, and Saul cast the javelin for he said I will smite David even to the wall with it and David avoided out of his presence not once but twice now maybe the first time David's there playing and he moves at just the right moment some would call it coincidence I would say it was the hand of God and the javelin in the wall right beside of David and David looks down at the javelin and sees where it come from and there stands Saul and maybe David doesn't fully understand just yet, but he might be thinking, you know, I think he was throwing that at me and missed. And the Lord blessed me. And then Saul grabs another one and hurls it David's way. And Saul misses again. Now David could have just stood there and said, well, God's going to protect me. God's going to take care of me in this. God's going to deliver me. But I can tell you this, David, not unlike Joseph, you can draw a lot of comparisons between David and Joseph, the son of Jacob. Because what David decided to do, as Adrian Rogers would put it, he decided to saturate that area with his absence. Yeah. He said, you know what? God's going to take care of me, but I'm going to go over here and let God take care of me. I'm not going to make it easy for Saul. He's going to have to hit a moving target. He didn't stand there and say, yeah, 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 you can't hit me. God won't let you touch me because we tempt not the Lord thy God, neither put Him to the test. It says that David got gone. And from this point on, David's having a rough go because of one guy, Saul. And time would fail me to rehash every little thing. But Saul begins to work his schemes, and you can read it for homework, uh, uh, but it says all the time, David behaved himself wisely. David had a heart for the Lord. He had a heart for the people. He wanted to do what God had laid out, and Saul hates him for it, to a point to where that Saul is more concerned about rubbing David out uh, than he is about defending his own land against the Philistines, while David goes out and fights the Philistines and has to fight Saul on the other side. And in the midst of all of that, David is hiding in caves. He's hiding out in the countryside, and at one point he finds himself hanging out amongst the Philistines. Has to behave as a crazy man at one point. The Philistines, they invite him to go away at one point. And David's walking all of these steps constantly in peril. Oh, yes. And you see, a lot of times, I think what we fail to realize in our daily walk with the Lord is we are constantly in danger. Yes. 
We are constantly, we have an adversary who is plotting our demise at every moment. But a lot of times we'll get up and go throughout the day and we won't stop and say, Lord, deliver us from evil. Lord, help us to not be tempted. Give us this day our daily bread. Because the specter of death dogs your steps. And I can tell you that in my younger years before that I was a Christian, I run around afraid of death. Even when I was claiming to be an atheist, I can tell you that I didn't want to die. I was afraid that I would lift up my eyes in hell. And so death loomed over top of me, just like it does everybody. Oh yeah. But I think about when David sat down and wrote that 23rd Psalm. And it said, you know, the, and, and we'll read it here in just a second. It's not a particularly lengthy psalm. But when he wrote it, my mind conjures an image of a man sitting in the waning hours of daylight at the mouth of a cave while the lookouts are watching. Constantly had to be on guard and be vigilant. Yes. Had to be sober. Had to be vigilant. Couldn't let his guard down for even a moment because he had an enemy who was seeking his destruction. And brothers and sisters, you have an enemy who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And being in constant peril takes a toll. Yes. The specter of death (laughs) continually over top of him. But if you read that 23rd Psalm, and I'm going to turn there now. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 says, The Lord... As my shepherd, I shall not want. Now when I read that particular scripture, I think about the 600 men that David had with him. That they were with him and he had to make sure they all stayed fed and provisioned. You think about it, they were marching around the countryside and they had to be provided for. And David looked around and said, we've got food for today. Do we have a big store in the back? No. But he said, God will take care of us. He'll provide for us. He's our shepherd. They might have looked at David as a leader, but David looked to the Most High God. You may find yourself in a leadership position taking care of somebody else, but look first to God as your shepherd. And He'll make sure that you don't find yourself in want. And maybe he wrote that as he was looking around at the men as they were eating and getting their fill. And saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, yeah. I shall not want. And he wrote it down. And then in verse 2 it says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. I believe he was enjoying the time in which they weren't running. They weren't fighting. That God had given them rest. And I can tell you this, a prayer that should always be near and dear to your heart is, Lord, give me rest. Give me peace. Give me peace even in the midst of the storm. That I can rest regardless of what's going on around me. Because I can tell you, there are going to be times in your life when you're going to get tired and you're going to get weary. But we need to remember, even in the midst of peril, that God takes care of us. That He's the master of the sea. He's the one who will provision us. And David was looking around saying, it's a nice night. The sun's just going down. The temperature's just right. We've got enough food to eat. And we're safe for this moment. Because really, a lot of times, when you really truly see blessings, 
You may not be able to look way into the future and see them, but look around right now and know you're blessed. That will give you the joy of the Lord that passes understanding. You'll notice he goes on and says, He restoreth my soul. You know what? There's been a, more than a couple of times when that I've gotten weary uh, and I've gotten down uh, and God has restored my soul. Uh, he's pumped me right back up uh, when I've been deflated, uh, when I thought I couldn't walk another step uh, and He's lifted me up uh, and packed me for the next several steps. Uh, restoring my soul. It says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. <laughs> that what David is doing is he's looking around He's saying, you know what? I wouldn't be alive. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing right now if He hadn't delivered me from the lion all those years ago or from the bear, from Goliath, or from Saul when He cast the javelin at me not once but twice. I believe He sat down and said, you know what? I'm following Him and He's never led me wrong. See, David grew up poor. In that Scripture we was reading there, Saul actually offers his daughter to David. And David looks around and says, Buddy, I don't have any money to pay a dowry. Saul concocts a scheme that he's pretty sure will get David killed in trying to get the dowry. He wants a hundred Philistine foreskins. Well, they ain't going to give them to David. He's got to take them. And I can tell you that any self-respecting man will not let go of that lightly. And so Saul, even even in seeming to bless David... Is trying to be his undoing. But David followed the leading of the Lord. And he said the Lord led him in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now let me say this. No, David wasn't perfect. We know that. And if you really want to read about his imperfection, then turn to Psalm 51. And you'll find where that it is that David still has a heart for God. David had a very humble end. If you read about the end of the life of David, and that's not the one that everybody gets up and preaches and everybody shouts, it says uh, uh, that at the end of his life he couldn't keep his core body temperature up. And he froze all the time. There are many historians that say David probably had syphilis or some kind of other venereal disease. That in one of the Psalms, David said, Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. That's not one of those Psalms that you'll find cross-stitched on a pillow. Okay, you you don't hear people quoting that or saying that's their favorite Bible verse. But David, even in all that, he looked to God. He had a heart for God. And while this may have been written by candlelight in a cave or at the mouth of a cave, you'll notice that in verse 4, planted right there in the middle, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, I thought about that a lot in my late teen years and early 20s. That specter of death. And it scared me so much. Have you ever had something, you see something in a really dark room and it looks like something totally different? Oh yeah. And it scares you? Oh yeah. And then you turn the light on and you look and it's just clothes hanging in a particular way. It's not a werewolf or a vampire or an axe murderer. (laughs) That was just a shadow. In Jesus Christ, what He did was He turned the light on and said, death is but a shadow. 
When it passes over you, I can tell you, I've been hit by the shadow of a vehicle several times and walked away just fine. But I was always afraid of the shadow of the vehicle until the Lord showed me that it can do no hurt. It has no power. And David was looking around and saying, look, I'm constantly in peril. Death is at every corner. Saul is plotting my demise. So I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. He says, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what I think about? When you're walking somewhere dark and unfamiliar and you don't know the path, But imagine the person behind you knows the path well. They've walked it many times. They don't have to be able to see. And you get ready to make a wrong turn and they have a a stick. And they stick it out beside of you. No. Don't make that turn. Don't go over there. That's going to be a problem. And they guide you. And that's what David is saying. He's saying that God, and now He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And when I'm in this dark, shadowy, scary place, He takes care of me and comforts me and assures me. And if you don't have that in Jesus Christ, then get it. I can't tell you how often I'll have students come into my classroom and I'll say, All right, we're going to be doing an assignment on pencil and paper. And I have a container of pencils in my room that I keep available. Sharpened. I sharpen them every morning. Got a real fancy pencil sharpener I won at a a, a little professional development thing. I was excited about it. You'd have thought I was on The Price is Right and I just got called to the Showcase Showdown or something. But I sharpen them pencils every morning. I have them ready. And every day when when I have them doing something on paper... With pencil, I'll have a student come up to me and say, Mr. Williamson, I don't have a pencil. And often I'll turn around to the container and say, Behold, it's right there. Just get it. Or they'll come up and say, Can I have a pencil? Yes. I don't have those there for decoration. Get one and use it. And a lot of times when we live a defeated life in the Lord, it's because the Lord has prepared a table for us before enemies and we won't sit down and eat. He's made it and we're worried about the enemies and God said, don't you worry about them. I'll deal with them. You sit down and eat and you enjoy and they have to watch you. Because a lot of times what we do is we worry about all of the details rather than looking to God, following Him in the paths of righteousness. For His name's sake. When you follow Him, though, trust me, following the Lord's going to land you in trouble. You don't believe me? Ask Jesus. Oh, yeah. He was only ever obedient to the will of God and several different times people wanted to kill Him for it. When He was down on His knees in the Garden of Gethsemane and they come out to take Him, you remember what He said? He said, why have you come out like that I'm a thief or a robber? In the middle of the night with your torches and your pitchforks. Wasn't I in the synagogue with you every day? I didn't say these things in secret. Following the path of the Lord will land you in hot water sometimes. But ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego how it turns out when you go into the fire. Is you'll find that you'll come through because tis but a shadow. And nothing more. You know that Halloween was just recent... I've always found it. I've never been a fan of Halloween. Even when I was a kid. I liked the candy. That was about it. We wore the costumes that were 
almost like torture devices. Them little plastic masks that you put on your head and rubber band would always break and flip you in the ear. The edges of the eye holes in the mask would dig in and hurt the edges of your eyes, you know. But hey, I'm Superman or I'm the Karate Kid or whatever the case may be. And you would find yourself though at Halloween and everybody's talking about fear. What an antithesis to the Christian life. Fear. We're not given a spirit of fear. We're given a spirit of faith to trust in the Lord. And I remember it always gave me this uneasy feeling because that people were always just so obsessed with death and evil things or things that I believed to be evil. And I didn't like it. And I still don't. And I can tell you, the the original uh, uh, meaning of Halloween, of Hallow's Eve, it was a celebration of the harvest. A celebration of what God had done. A celebration that, hey, we got enough food to live. That was what it was about. And then it got mutated and warped and bent and twisted, just as pagan uh, religions often do, and turned into something completely different. Co-opted. Just like the gay community has done with the uh, rainbow. Co-opted it. Oh, yeah. That rainbow... It's not about Dorothy and somewhere over the rainbow that gay people will be accepted. It is that God said, Noah, I will never destroy the world by water again. You can trust me. When you see that, I will remember my covenant that I made with you. Okay? And, but, but with Halloween and with all of these things, you'll notice uh, that it's always about fear. Yes. You think about how afraid David... I don't don't know about you all, but I've never been in a situation where somebody's been actively trying to kill me that I've been aware of. I've never served in the military, so I never dealt with that. I've never had an enemy that I thought was seeking my actual death. Now, I've had a few people that didn't like me and I never understood why until my dear mother pointed out that it's probably the Lord in you and they don't like it because... Their father, the devil, is stirring them up against you. Yes. Never considered that until that I had an older Christian pointed out to me. And that will happen. When you're following the Lord, the devil and his billy goats will show up to try to ruin the good things that you have. And you'll notice now that it says in verse 5, I already mentioned it. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. <laughs> you think about that. Being anointed with oil. That was pretty important. You know, oil was a very valuable commodity and you didn't, you didn't use it lightly. And David knew, I think he was thinking back to that day when he wasn't even originally called to the party. You imagine the sight that he's seen when he shows up out of breath. You called me? And he sees his seven dejected brothers because they didn't get the invite or they didn't get the the nod. And Jesse's kind of probably looking at his sundial on his wrist. We're waiting on that. Really? Dad, I've got stuff I want to do. Yeah, the man of the Lord's here, boys. Wait. And David shows up and right in the middle of him. And they're probably like, well, I guarantee it's not David. And then it says that Samuel jumps up like somebody just kicked him. And the Lord said, that's it. That's my guy. And then Samuel, boink, 
I hear that cork sound come out of the, the horn. Blink. And he walks over to David and he doesn't just dump out a little bit. He upends it over top of him. And you imagine the looks on his father and his brother's faces and David standing there astonished too because now he has oil dripping down him from head to toe. He has been bathed in the, in the Spirit of the Lord in that moment. And that's what he's talking about. My cup runs over. God has more for me than what I can even really use. That He has blessed me abundantly. I may not have everything I want. But I got more than enough. And so that's what he said. He said, he's anointed my head with oil. My cup runs over. He was counting his blessings and looking on every side and saying, yeah, if I look at Saul, I'll think about how bad things are, but I'm looking at God and seeing how good that I have it in the mouth of a cave. And then he goes on here in verse 6. And he says, surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He was saying that if I follow the Lord and I stay on His path, it's goodness and it's mercy. And God's mercy knows no bounds. David was blessed to be able to look ahead and see by prophetic revelation the Christ. And if you don't think so, just read the 22nd Psalm. It's a little longer. But it describes in astonishing detail the crucifixion of Christ. David saw it. He was a guy, I would say if nothing else, that some would have looked at his life and said, you know what, I think he gets it. I think he understands what God is all about. And God blessed him. God told him, He said, I've established your kingdom forever. And you know if you trace the lineage that Matthew writes down, the part of the Bible we often skip because it's so-and-so begetting such-and-such, begetting this, begetting that, and all that, and you're like, I'd be getting out of this chapter and be getting to a more interesting chapter. But if you read it and you follow it down, it traces the lineage and establishes Jesus Christ as a descendant of David. Yes. And there's a throne that Christ sits on forevermore. The throne of David. Mm-hmm. Jesus, thou son of David, blind Bartimaeus said to him, Thou son of David, yes. have mercy on me. Because David was a precursor, a forerunner of what would come into this world. Now he was, he was, a, he was a bad reflection, but he was still a reflection of what would come. Because David shed a lot of blood. David did some bad things. David messed up. But there would come one after him who had a perfect run. And that was Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And you see, He walked in that valley of the shadow of death. You know, I think about often whenever, you know, whenever Easter comes up, I find myself thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane. And the days ahead, the days before Jesus comes to be crucified, because He knew the time and the place. I said to a friend there a while back, we, he and I were discussing, I said, you know, I imagine that every time that Jesus was in Jerusalem 
And he walked by Golgotha. And he looked up on that hill. There was this sense of dread. And a shiver would go up his spine because he knew that's going to be tough. The other things that he was doing, that was easy compared to Calvary. Yes. And the shadow of that hill loomed over him. The shadow of death. But he trusted God. Because if you remember, when he got down on his face there in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe that was his finest hour. And he said, God, the humanity had taken control. You ever been there? Oh, yeah. When that it seems like your faith is at an all-time low, you have no strength, everything that you thought you could count on failed. Jesus thought He could count on His friends and they had fell asleep on Him. He was in agony and He falls down on His face and He prays, weeping. and says, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. God, if there's some other way that this can be accomplished where I don't have to hang on that cross and die, then let's do that. But then in the finest moment, he said, but not my will, but thine. Amen. And he said, God, I surrender to you. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And he went willingly. His discourse with Pilate. Pilate, are you king? They're saying you're a king. Jesus said, what, did you hear this? You're saying it of yourself? And he said, how would I know? And Jesus tells him, he said, if I were a king, my kingdom would fight. Right. Praise be to God, they didn't. Jesus could have said, you know what? I'm going to call down a legion of angels and clean oh, this yeah. place out. Yeah. He could have said, you know what? The cross is too hard. I don't want to do this. It's too difficult. Anytime that I find myself unwilling to get out of my comfort zone for the Lord, I look at Calvary. You think that was comfortable? I mean, you think about it. If you think about just a portion of what he went through, I can tell you that for most people, it would be scarier than death itself to be stripped naked and displayed before everyone. Oh, yeah. Not to mention having been beaten nearly to death, crowned with thorns, have hands full of your beard pulled out. I think about that every time I have a beard hair get plucked out, just a singular one. How it hurts and shocks me. It'll get caught in my collar and I'll turn my head and it'll pluck it out and it hurts and I get mad. It scares me. And they grabbed hands full of his. Oh, yes. Tore it out. And yet, through all of that, he held out his hands. He hung on the cross. He bled his blood. And then he said, for the very ones that were killing him, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. But you see, David got it. David got it all the way back here in the 22nd, the 23rd Psalm and many others. He knew that God was going to provide for himself a sacrifice. Oh, yes. And if this doesn't put joy in your heart, if you don't know how to worship, study the life of David. I guarantee that you'll come away worshiping more than you've ever worshiped before. Because I don't look at David's failures and say, well... 
he's not worth listening to as I look at it and say, huh, I'm glad my failures aren't so publicly displayed. I'm glad that God doesn't have what I've done in secret shouted from the rooftops. And that happened to David and he still served God. David still trusted God. And I can tell you this, you can trust God. You can trust Him in everything. He'll deliver you. But you're constantly in peril. You're constantly walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But don't fear evil. Because He's with you. He's taking care of you. It may be that there are difficult days laid ahead of us. On an individual basis, for the Christian church, we really have no idea how quickly that things can turn against us. Oh, yeah. Because the world will end up hating us because they hated Christ first. Because we will call sin exactly what it is. Sin. I can tell you this, though. We might find ourselves in these valleys as a shadow of death. But we can trust just like David did. I hope this message has blessed you.